I'm Darius McDermott from Fund Canada, and this is the Investing on the Go podcast. Today, our subject is European equities, and I have the pleasure of the company this afternoon of Niall Gallagher, who is the manager of the elite-rated Gamstar Continental European Equity Fund. Good afternoon, Niall. Good afternoon. So, you were one of our first podcast guests uh, over 18 months ago, and at that time, you talked about how Europe was less important to European equities. Is that still the case? And maybe just tell us a little bit about what, what that means. Yeah, so the point I was making back then, and the point certainly applies now to an even greater extent, is that a minority of the revenues of the European equity market are derived from Europe. The majority are derived yeah. from outside of Europe. So that would be places like the United States, Canada, uh, going into Asia, particularly uh, China is increasingly important. Uh, other parts of uh, Asia, Japan, Japan, and then into Latin America and little bits from Africa. So if we break down the, the revenue split between Europe and non-Europe, it's about 45% domestic Europe and 55% non-Europe. And that percentage has been growing over time. If you go back to 1990, 75% of revenues of the European market came from Europe. Uh, and now, as I mentioned, it's 45%. So over time, every year, in fact, the proportion of the revenue that comes from outside of Europe grows because the non-European bets are growing more quickly than the European bet. So let's talk about pandemic and some of the themes, I think, that's been well discussed on this uh, podcast. But within Europe, what sort of trends have you seen, European equities, that have either been accelerated or, or in fact, decelerated by the effect of the pandemic? What, what, what have been the really hot areas or areas to avoid? So, obviously, we've had a pretty extraordinary period, not just with the pandemic, but how we all reacted to it, to our own behaviours, and some of the forced behavioural changes because of the restrictions that were placed upon us. So, some of the obvious ones were there was a big switch in commerce of so people's shopping behaviors from the offline world to the online world. So businesses like a Zalando, which is a big European uh, online fashion portal, a bit like ASOS, but a lot bigger, that really boomed last year as people in places like Italy and Spain began to shift their behaviors from the physical world into the online world, kind of catching up to an extent with people in the UK and Germany, where online penetration was higher. So the same in Italy, uh, in some of the, we own a bank called Foneco Bank, we saw that there too. So that was kind of one trend that was very pronounced. Another trend we saw was um, people not using cash anymore. I mean, it's not just the online transactions. People seem to almost have a revulsion for touching cash uh, in their, you know, if you go to the cafe or a restaurant or a bar, if they're open, uh, people tend to tap their phone nowadays or tap a card. So we also had a big, swift, a big switch towards payments. And the final one, which was something that kind of really built last year, was you know this big divergence in growth in consumption we'd seen between Asia and Europe, uh, but also Asia and the US. That really accelerated. So we've seen a very, very big pickup in the growth rate that's driving many of the European luxury stocks or some of the powerful consumer staple stocks like a L'Oreal, and that's really accelerated too. Uh, they have, you know, to what we discussed a moment ago, they've also really benefited the share of non-Europe in European equities. But those have been some of the trends that have been really accelerated over the course of the last uh, 15 to 18 months. An obvious area which has suffered uh, is tourism. Uh, we were talking briefly before we record this podcast about our lack of uh, holiday plans for the summer. 
when we last spoke, you talked about sort of inter-regional flights being the obvious first return. Um, but 18, whatever it is, 16, 18 months on, as US looks to open its corridors as its vaccination program is reasonably accelerated, do you think we will see more travel to the US rather than into Europe? And are you spotting any early changes in tourism that, that, that you can exploit? No, I think we still believe that the intra-European and into obviously intra-US and intra-China travel will, will, will go first. Uh, Europe is lagging behind. Um, I think it will pick up. So we've seen, uh, we will see from the 1st of July that intra-EU travel restrictions will pick up. Whether the UK gets included in that or not is, is up for debate and we can debate the reasons why. Um, but I do believe that intra-European will pick up first uh, and that'll be probably led by, by tourism, first off. So it'll be people wanting to go on holidays, you know, the north to south being the kind of typical thing, people going into Spain or Greece or Portugal. I think that will, will be the first thing to, to go. Now, it's very hard to call. And I think you know we've all been caught out a few times in making predictions on this because of the unpredictable nature of this pandemic. But I still think that will, will, um, will be the pattern. And the beneficiaries are going to be the low-cost carriers who uh, will have taken market share throughout this pandemic. And the consolidation in that industry, I think, will benefit operating margins medium term. So it really hasn't changed my view. I think it'll still be the intra-European over the uh, the long haul. And then we mustn't forget, many long-haul carriers are actually not in great shape in terms of their balance sheets. They have a lot more debt. Uh, yeah. In some cases, Lufthansa and Air France, uh, the enterprise value is almost entirely debt. So the equity is, is extremely risky and likely to be heavily diluted. Yeah. So on to earnings, there was a very strong first quarter and even stronger second quarter, which I think logically makes sense as lockdowns have eased. Do you see that continuing for European equities in the second half of this year? Yes, absolutely. I mean, we're coming towards the end of the second quarter now, and we've seen a number of pre-announcements, uh, companies like Kingspan, uh, Travis Perkins in the UK, Pernod Ricard have all pre-announced. Uh, the pace of recovery, particularly in certain areas, has been uh, strong, stronger than expected, and expectations were quite strong going into this. So I think that the answer is yes. I think we'll continue to see in Q2 and Q3, uh, maybe even Q4, a, a fairly serious rebound. We mustn't forget that policy is still very accommodative. So we have zero interest rates. Therefore, people have very low mortgages. Uh, we still have the furlough scheme in the UK and similar schemes elsewhere in the US. Consumers are getting checks sent to them. In Asia, they've already gone back. So in Asia, is kind of rebooted already. So there's a lot of kind of income going into uh, consumers, uh, I guess, bank accounts. People haven't been able to spend over the last 18 months in the way they would normally spend. So there's a lot of cash that's built up in consumer bank accounts as well. So I think there is an awful lot of uh, consumer firepower and a lot of pent-up demand. And I expect this to, uh, to, to really drive uh, quite strong consumption. And I think this will be persistent for a while. So that leads me perfectly to my next question, which is on inflation. Mm. So that growth, earnings growth, human behavior coming out of lockdown. We have seen 2% in the UK historically is not a huge inflation number, but it's certainly higher than it has been. But 5% in the US, that is a bit more of a punchy inflation number. How is that feeding through in Europe? Europe's historically seen as much more of a def deflationary region. Um, do you think this sort of 
strong reopening trade and, 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 and earnings and pent up demand will lead to inflation in Europe? Yeah, I think it will. I think this time it's a little different. Uh, I expect there to be uh, more inflation. We're already seeing it when we talk to companies that uh, input prices are much higher and they are passing those on to customers, consumers, and they are getting some stickiness there. So pricing power is beginning to return. Um, we have all already seen a number of, I guess, dislocations caused by the pandemic. So, you know, whether it's containers being in the wrong location, we had this issue in the Suez Canal a few months ago. Uh, we've got issues around semiconductor. So there is some kind of cost push coming from, uh, I guess, effects of the pandemic. But we're also seeing very strong wage growth as well, uh, probably more so in the US than in Europe, but obviously that does impact on European equities. Uh, we uh, invest in one of our portfolios in a, a UK company um, called Ashdead that's seen or talking about 6% wage growth in the United States in their workforce. So we are seeing uh, significant wage growth. I don't think it's necessarily going to lead to a kind of wage price spiral that we saw in the 70s because the institutional structures in labor markets are quite different and societies are quite different in, in other ways too. But I do think we'll have a little higher inflation than we've had before and I think it'll be more volatile. Um, not necessarily a bad thing. I think a little bit of inflation, given the consequences of deflation over the last sort of decade or so, is not necessarily bad, uh, unless, of course, it got out of hand. But we don't think it will get out of hand. Any obvious companies that you think might benefit either in the portfolio or listed in Europe that that, that you might look to play? Because obviously within the London market, you've got the whole metals and materials yeah. listed. How... How might you play in inflation? What sort of stock has got that pricing power that, that that would keep up? Well, I think that's a good question. And it's, a, it's, a, it's a really kind of key focus of ours is trying to think about you know, all of the stocks in the portfolio that we, we have that may see input cost pressure, which ones can pass it on and which ones can't pass it on. And that's sometimes an individual uh, decision based on the characteristics of a particular company in its industry. I guess broadly or generally, we are seeing some of our building materials or some of the companies that supply into those industries uh, get pricing through. Uh, and that's pretty decent. That's good. Yeah, because if you're getting uh, good pricing through uh, in a point in time when demand is quite strong, there is a potential for some fixed cost leverage, uh, which is yep. kind of good for uh, operating margins. So that's uh, a positive. Uh, the areas we're also seeing you know, pretty decent inflation, not quite caused by the same things, but uh, energy. Uh, so we've seen the oil price really rise to a much higher level than was anticipated at the beginning of the year. Uh, we have one big oil company in the portfolio, Equinor, which is a Norwegian oil and gas company. It's uh, a mixture of upstream and then renewables, and their upstream business is generating huge amounts of cash at the current oil price, so there's a benefit there. And then I guess more medium term, if the higher levels of inflation uh, lead to higher bond yields or lead to the anticipation of higher interest rates, that'll be good for European banks. Um, a 200 basis point increase in short rates would increase the profitability of Eurozone banks by about 50%, which is a really big number. And European banks have been really hit quite hard over the last few years by, by low and then negative interest rates. So the banks are another obvious area where uh, more persistent inflation leading to higher uh, yields and then eventually interest rate rises would benefit the banks. And finally... There's been a real noticeable pickup of M&A, mergers and acquisitions, certainly on the UK-listed market. Is that reading through in European equities, or is that something that you feel may follow 
Certainly when I look at valuations, we think about the US being more fully valued than Europe and the UK. If there's a bit of a buyer's discount, are, are companies from either outside of Europe or in Europe starting to pick each other off? We haven't really seen a lot yet in, in Europe. I think the UK uh, is a little bit of a special case. I think to an extent that reflects the fact that the UK is a more private equity friendly market. So for a whole series of cultural reasons, it's easier for private equity to pick off UK businesses at a point in time when they are very cheap. Uh, we do believe that European equities are attractively valued. They're potentially not quite as cheap as the UK, but they still are attractively valued. Uh, but we're not quite seeing the same private equity uh, impact on European equities. And I'll be surprised if we did, yeah, just for a whole series of cultural reasons. Yeah. Uh, it's not really quite as acceptable or seen as acceptable in some of the markets for the private equity to, uh, to act in the way they act in the UK. Niall, thank you very much for taking us through what's going on in European equities. If you would like more information on the Gamstar Continental European Equity Fund, please visit fundcaliber.com. And if you like our podcast, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Please remember, we've been discussing individual stocks to bring investing to life for you. It is not a recommendation to buy or sell. The fund may or may not still hold these stocks at the time of listening. Mm-hmm.